I'm going to talk about a topic which is, I think, really underrated. It's use cases. Some people who criticize it, let, let's start here. You you have in the management world and in dev teams, you know, there's definitely a side uh, that, that you get to be on. Either you're pro use cases or against it. Those with the agile methodology are... I wouldn't say against it because, you know, Jira is a tool after all where you have tickets and you can actually put things in, in your sprint with, with the description and points and so on. So that there's definitely a space, quote unquote, for use cases. But I think, uh, broadly speaking, the, the sentiment uh, is either that you're going to be hyper detailed or on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who really think you should put two or three lines, or just general things and document as little as possible because it, it wastes valuable resources, right? You have a resource who just takes an entire sprint to produce stories in a very detailed manner that then get implemented or not correctly. So in, in, in that view, you know, maybe the devs, sometimes you have devs actually who are, are developer analysts, that, that is a job that exists. Um, but more, most commonly we think of UX and, and dev um, abilities to, to reason and ability to implement things on the fly without looking at actual quote-unquote literature, right? It's just paperwork. So that is seen as a time waster. The argument also, I, I've heard that on, on the dev side and on the UX side is it just, it takes too long. Like who has time to read all of this? And most of the time it's thing that's just so obvious. Why bother? They, they can just code it, right? Um, and if you just tell them that they'll know or if they just see it in a sentence, they'll use their judgment. And even when you do provide very detailed documentation, it's not read all the time. So, um, you know, why bother? That argument, I think, uh, does stand. I think the scale of the project really should di dictate this, um, you know, as, as a first point, right? And I think this this falls into this realm of risk analysis. Are you doing something that's very out of the box, very common? You're just configuring things. You know, you, you, you might get away with doing something that's less complex and exhaustive than, than a use case. Are you also building something that, you know, is more front end, has, you know, a, a great design? Then maybe what you really need is a design document, a detail mockup and so on. And, and if there's almost no back end to this thing, then do you really need a use case? I don't know. Um, and then you have this this situation too, for example, if it's a, a, a analyst de developer, then can they provide the analysis themselves? You really need an extra person on the team to be the analyst. Probably not, right? And the, the last thing also, the, the last situation where I would see that this, this might be a questionable practice is, um, is your team very big? Because if it's extremely small, if you have like one developer, that person can just turn to the client or talk if, if they're trained right because i i will highlight the fact that sometimes some developers don't really like being client facing so i think this this should be taken into account but you know there's the ability to just reach out and ask a question and it's very informal and very small that's a completely different setup than, than large projects i'm going to talk about the the flip side which is a little bit of an extreme but then we'll, we'll come back in, into the middle which i think describes most of you I have been on extremely large projects and I think people working in multinationals have that background. I've also been in, in startups, like I am right now in a startup. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the corporate side, the multinational side, the scale of those projects. I just cannot imagine not having use cases. And I'm actually amused right now because a couple of coworkers who were on the, the design team, you know, one of them once told me, oh, no, no personal offense because I like you. 
but you know what are analysts for and i think if, if you're doing a good job that is a question you should be hearing because you know everything is rolling really smoothly so that that to me is the greatest compliment someone could make but i'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories that i think will highlight the importance of this so we were on a project in in that particular um mended where there were 46 countries involved and it's really interesting because the the team was really large it it was in france it was uh in in a warehouse it's kind of this new new wave uh, i don't know how to call it but very trendy very novel uh type of of uh, com company i guess it's almost behaving like a startup except it's it's you know 10 times the size of one and in that space, there were such large teams, right? You had a whole entire area with just graphic designers and you had an entire area just devs. You know, everyone was in these areas, these zones, and you had so many people working together. You, you know, you had multiple analysts, multiple developers, multiple designers. So here is the, the prime use case uh, for, or scenario for the use case, right? And it's that when you have such a large team and especially if it's distributed, that knowledge does not reside in one person's head. And one of the most common cases that I saw was that I might be working on a piece and a colleague of mine, a peer analyst, was working on another piece. And if we didn't necessarily coordinate or have access to each other's documents, we might be working with our, our analogs in the, the, the dev team, for example, or the graphic team. And that module that we were developing would work as a standalone, but it would not fit into the new solution because at the same time, a new requirement came in from this other analyst with a new development stream. And now there was a conflict between possibly our work. So the, the first thing to, to be aware of in large teams is it, it can be very hard to juggle all of this. If you have to keep your eye on multiple cases being conducted at the same time, developed at the same time, and it's not actually documented, and it lives in different people's heads, you have a high likelihood of conflict in the code later on or just conflicting a directive to start with. But more than that, I think the value of the use case is not the deliverable itself because I think that is the, the common misconception. People look at this piece of paper and they ask, what's the value? I absolutely agree with you. I, I was, for example, working on an e-commerce team and all the things we were doing were, were pretty standard even though it was custom development, but it's it's nothing earth shattering. There were no design patterns that you really had to, to think through really hard for. That kind of project can get away with, with minimal um, requirements. The level of complexity that I was dealing with in, in the previous job was, you know, frankly impossible to handle because it was really a back-end story. You know, that we had very pretty screens. We were working with fantastic graphic designers. It was very inspiring. And, and um, you know, it was even the, the facility had personas and the the user journey on the walls, which I want to remind you, this this was this going to date back, I think, six, seven years ago. This was a really long time ago when, you know, now it's it's common, common practice in the industry. But back then it was it was kind of a, a cool thing to have uh, on a client site. And. So all of these innovations were absolutely great, right? But the the part, I think, of the difficulty was actually residing in that back end and all of the data that we had to manage. And the fact that across 46 countries, the, the data wasn't labeled consistently or referred to, 
consistently that the business rules would change according to geography or franchisee, that there was a lot of complexity that is completely absent to the front-end user, but you as a, a designer in the back-end, as an analyst, you have to know, you know, your systems in and out. And it almost borders that that line where you're not just an analyst, like you, and I, I did, I, I went back actually to university, picked up extra SQL um, skills, built on, you know, extra knowledge. And I knew that database inside out and, and could query it and even made me a, a special login to be able to go and, and configure my test data and things like that and, and have data sets. Um, the level of innovation there is fabulous. It's really exciting. And it's something that is quite frankly really hard to communicate like I will not just as an analyst and I, I can't imagine you imagining this walking over to someone's desk and and start talking about you know all the connection points and the mapping to, to the data and where to fetch this and that like you need a document that's that's the main function of it and that what I mean by the process is is where the value is is it's not so much the the front end I think when people look at use cases and don't understand that the the the, the value of them is because they are only thinking of the front end but the reality is the back end the integration and especially the business rules which may or may not be written and this i'm going to highlight is even more so the case you um and and this will be for another episode but when you have an immature business and by this i, I don't I, i i not there's no um negative connotation here but i really mean a, um, a business that is nascent that does not yet have very clear business rules in their daily life as a manual operation before they go online. You see this very much in companies that are growing, that have really fast growth and that are now starting to automate certain processes, but these processes were never implemented in, in the physical world. So there's this kind of leap where you're thinking, you're not just solving for the, the system, but you're helping that client in front of you think through their own internal systems and processes that are really, they have nothing to do with IT really. They're They're about people management and, and process um, processes that exist in their daily operations, right? It's it's almost like a different job. You have the functional analyst and then you have the business analyst. And this is almost like this third function of, of almost management and process design, right? And you're a little bit all of that as an analyst when, when you work, um, depending on the, the profile of the, um, the client, right? But you, you can be called to have to do that work because, and you have to pick that up, right? If you're in front of, a client whose processes are, are not yet ready to be implemented, you need to step in and really talk this through and help them figure it out. Because once it's coded, it's going to be one very costly to recode later. They probably won't be satisfied with it. And you're implementing something that if it hasn't really been thought through and, and tested in the real world, has a chance of, of not working. And it's not a systems issue. It's really a process and people issue. And so as an analyst, you, you pick up on that and you're responsible for that too. Um, but that document, it lets you as an analyst ask all the questions and ask them without any preconceived notions. And this, of course, is overkilled for, for something that's almost out of the box or common design patterns and front-end oriented, but for every other situation, which I think represents a lot of, of what our jobs are like. This is crucial because it's not the end document. It's the fact that you went through all these questions by writing it and you made sure with the client that they were ready, that their processes were ready, that, you know, the the data points were really thought about. And this brings you also in contact with, you know, the architect on the team and to think about the deployment of the solution before you, you write requirements, not because you're going to write them in a technical way, but because even to to 
be able to first of all i i'm gonna say there is a slight bias in how you split the stories and write them which makes them you know things that a dev can or will implement this or that solution it's not that you're being prescriptive but you know being informed ahead of time and this plays also in the mock-ups that you you present to the client in the flow that you might design and, and the dev team is extraordinarily useful here because if you touch base with them very early on you can make conjunct decisions or you know at least get advice that you can bring back to the client for them to make a final decision and you get it really early in the process when it's it hasn't been deployed it hasn't been you know we haven't spent the budget to code it it's great to have those discussions early on and those discussions are triggered by the meetings that are involved in getting that that um that <laughs> sorry the word escaped me for a second the use case um you know discussed with the team and approved by the client and it's all part of the process so this this is my main takeaway in this first section the the use case is about a process and the process is actually quite close to agile which is why it's very funny that a lot of people who are against use cases are typically um very sold to agile but it's it's the same spirit that document is the the cement between all of these different roles and you as the analyst become almost at the center and I, I hate to put it like that because i think every role likes to think like they're at the center right the manager thinks that they're at the center of the team and they are the dev thinks that they are the center of the team and they are and the analyst in their own way is also the center of the team and even the graphic designer you know pulls everything together in a way that is communicated and visual and they also are the center of the team from that viewpoint so i think there's a lot of leadership being split by different um stakeholders on the team right but from that perspective that document is also the one that holds the central logic and gets everyone aligned and ask the questions and it's very very early on the process so that everyone that comes after the graphic designer the the developer everyone and, and the client you know have aligned early so it, it's not a surprise there's no shock coming up that's that's the value number one the process kind of not foolproofs you because you'll have surprises but it reduces the uncertainty and the risk considerably and gets people on the same page asking the right questions in a very timely manner. The second point I want to discuss here is testing. <laughs> it always blows my mind. I'm going to bring it back to use cases in a second, but I, it always blows my mind when I see projects where so much effort is deployed on testing and it can be done really poorly. And I'm just thinking how inefficient, right? And what a shame because testing is extremely important. It's a little bit, you know, in a sense like that use case, it's your moment to catch anything before it goes live. It saves money, you know, that can be lost if, if there's a bug or something coming up um, when when you go live. It's just so essential. It's also how you, you get that quality control, right, in the industry from the client. It's by doing those demos and getting them to test it inside out. And there's so many different kinds of tests and we can talk about that too at some later point. But there's there's a way of intelligently testing. I think the analyst's role should, and, and definitely in, in the teams that I've been with, have extended to working with the QA team because first of all, this is a cost-saving thing. <laughs> and you probably are aware of it, you should be aware of it. There is an intelligent way in which you can reuse use cases for the testing that there's a specific way and this this is really a skill, right? But a good analyst is able to write use cases that can then be um, also serve in the testing phases. This requires a completely different planning and a different kind of thinking 
right than just purely doing the requirements i guess i wouldn't say the classical way but the the way that i've seen some people sometimes jot it down as a list right if you're thinking how this is going to be tested as you're writing the use case first of all the clarity is going to go up right <laughs> you're going to really know what are the real criteria and what are kind of the the things that you know if, if it's done this way or that way, I don't really care, right? You're falling really in the functionality field and you're falling falling really in, in that must-have category of, you know, this this is the criteria. This is the, the pass or fail. And that should be determined, you know, way before this gets on the desk or the, the desktop of a dev. I, um, I think, and I've seen this a lot in the industry where this was so poorly defined that then when the testing team comes along, it's very hard for them to write the test cases because it's very hazy. We don't really know what, you know, the, the outcome really should be. This is of paramount importance if you're going to be dealing with large data sets, right? Here I'm thinking of very large projects like the one I was mentioning before where in very complex cases, right? If, if you have to test very complex scenarios and you want to have maybe even build your own data set that has all of those edge cases you want to test, you should really think about that, right? And, and you should design both the, the case and the test cases, the use case and the test case to, to really hone in on that and make sure that this is, is defined clearly and then that we verify that it was implemented clearly. So, in that regard, you, you again see the value of the use case. It's not just the process of having asked the questions, but it's also the process of having had the forethought of how are we going to know we've succeeded at the end, right? What what exactly is the measurement? The measurement is, is what you're writing in the use case. And that, I think, brings us to also an interesting point, which is what should the use case contain and not contain? Because a lot of the debate, I think, in the field has to do with the level of granularity and precision that is is within that case. And I think this is extremely important. If you are not precise enough, which is, I think, on the analyst side, what is often the concern, you're not being precise enough, then, you know, just like we said, what are you going to test? If it's not precise enough and there's so much leeway that a developer has to use their own creativity, but to an extent where you, you can't predict the outcome, that's not good. <laughs> you want to know what you're writing because that's what will be tested and that's implicitly what will be programmed, right? So you need to, to get down in those details a little bit more. However, the opposite is something we don't really talk about often. But if you've spoken to devs or managers, this is probably one of their biggest pet peeves. And they are absolutely right. Um, Over-detailing things, going overboard and over-documenting, not only is it a waste of time, but... It's also very dangerous because you start as an analyst to become prescriptive and that that is very misleading because that is not your role. You are agnostic, you are describing functionality and the developer or the, the graphic designer, whoever works with you on the team, um, take, takes those requirements and their expertise is to make those decision calls. When you are being too prescriptive in what you're writing, too detailed, when you're going down that extra layer down, not just one level down to get clarity and, and get everyone on the same page, but even further down where you're you're almost stepping on someone else's job, that's a pretty bad sign. And not, I don't mean it just because you're quote unquote doing someone else's job. That's totally not the, it's not a turf war here, right? If, if you're a team together, that that is not the prime concern. The, the real prime concern is it's not your expertise and you are likely to be describing things, you know, by adding details and they're just like limited 
thoughts that you have. They're the first thing you thought about or the only thing you, you can think of. And that's, I think, a level, that's how you can tell how senior uh, an analyst is because the knowing the right level of detail to deliver that document as is, is just that right point. It's not too detailed, so you're, you're making decision calls that you're not qualified for, but it's not so vague that we don't know what we're programming and we have no clue what we're going to be testing. So that's the second great addition um, that, that you'll bring to the table when you bring in the use case. So I've spoken about multinationals. Let me shift gears and talk a little bit about startups and growing startups specifically. Although what I'm mentioning is also true from some large clients um, I worked with in terms of legacy systems. That's that's also um, and, and very custom products. When things are developed in-house or when you're consulting and, and you're developing something for, for example, a startup that's growing, one of the constraints you have is how things have been built in the past. And also that this extends to processes, actually, to business processes. Very often, let, let me talk about startups first and, and then we can talk about other figure cases here. But in the world of startups, you know, when you start, you don't really need, and there's the, the fantastic graph, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to link to to it in the show notes of uh, Griner, Evolution and Revolution, fantastic, fabulous five-stage model. Actually, I, I might even do a, an episode on this just for, for the sake of it, because I really love that model. Um, you know, when, when you're a smart, when you're dealing with a small startup, there is no bureaucracy, there's no red tape, that's why they move so fast. And it's, you know, a, a fabulous time to be in it, because you will walk across the hallway and find your acolyte and talk to them and say, I need this. And then they just go to their desk and they do it. Right. And it's so fast and you don't have to waste time with writing things down and documenting them. And all the decisions are just so centralized in a way because the, the you know, the, the team has three people on it or, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but that's, that's the, that's the gist of it. And then what happens to that team? Well, it grows, it becomes very successful. And then you have a delegation crisis where those three or four or five people just can't hold the fort down so you start hiring people and when you hire them you have to give them work so you're delegating that's the whole point of it but then you fall in this position where the people under you start having more knowledge than you who are managing them and who once knew all of the system by heart and as the team grows and grows and grows first of all it's hard to keep up with all of those details on the floor because those people who have been promoted now have to tackle things like you know managerial tasks or strategic tasks or if they're still senior in their position but they they have another level of, of detail and information that they're dealing with so meanwhile that rest of, of the information keeps evolving under them and they might not be in touch with all of the details so all of a sudden we fall back on the same issue we had in, in the first section here that knowledge is distributed in the team it no longer resides with one person and taking decisions therefore is a little bit more complex there's a little bit more risk involved and especially if you're adding to this the element of timeline which i think nobody talks about and really that you know i i get it you don't want to necessarily spend money now for something that's going to happen down the road in 5 10 20 years but a little bit of thinking and documenting can save you such a hassle and and this will be even more true in, in large organizations and i've seen this time and again you have legacy systems and people, you know, retire, they change jobs, they get promoted, and that knowledge might leave the company. And it, it might not be something that, you know, is taken seriously at first because, you know, what is the likelihood or it's going to take time and it's just 
also the fire is burning right you're you're just running for with a fire with a fire hose water hose from one fire to the other extinguishing things that's the nature of the startup and the growing business <clears throat> it's not structured yet there's a lot of opportunities coming in the growth can just you know in an instant start um increasing and and you're facing all of these situations and you you don't have time like that's an extra luxury that most of the time when companies are growing it's you know there's a lot of things like visual identity and process mapping and um all these things <laughs> you know what, what the issue is it's not so much producing them it's maintaining them having someone on the team or even hiring a, a consultant that periodically comes in and and puts it you know back to up, updates it essentially puts it back back to speed and, and to reflect all of the minute changes th that is costly let's be honest right and you don't see value for it immediately because from you know externally from the client's perspective like nothing is going wrong so you don't you're not really fixing things you're just archiving and documenting things it seems like such a waste of time but here's where this becomes interesting and uh, I, i've seen this a lot when i came in actually in, in bigger corporations because but in, in startups obviously you, you see it a lot there comes a point where either the startup becomes so big that they they have to deal with a level of complexity that for example a multinational is but you know at their own scale i'm not saying quite the, the same scale but they, they suddenly do have complexity or they have a lot of integration points with third parties that you know the need for documentation and um documents as a way of communicating with others i think that's that's the way to frame it because we've talked about it as a way of working on processes but the the you know the other aspect of it it's also a great bridge you know between your team and another team or your department and another department, but also with, you know, third parties when you're outsourcing or collaborating with third parties to deliver on, on a product and you're not developing everything in-house, that piece of paper, like that that's, it's so important at so many levels, right? First of all, contractually, because you can show this is what we agreed on and this is what I'm expecting you to deliver by the state um, in, in terms of scope management and budget, uh, because you can estimate things and you know what to expect and when and that's critical for for the management side you know all, all of these different dimensions and and for clarity's sake right if you're going to communicate and especially when you're dealing with data and exchange points and, and you know like that that data mapping we were talking earlier if you know formats and the apis and how you're going to link things and you know the, the database structures and all of the things you need to tap into it's all the things that you're going to be writing down in those requirements and in the technical section so I, I think it almost acts as a contract between you and the third party. And, you know, it's not something that's like legally required, but in a way it is what it is. It, it increases the chance of success and it also decreases your risk, personal risk, you know, whatever your role is on that team, because that that piece of paper shows what you were expecting and are entitled to in a way if you agreed on it. So. All this being said, the, the point comes where that for a startup becomes necessary. And on the flip side, if, if we're looking at multinationals, it's it's a different scenario, but it's still the, the same issue. And it has to do with existing systems and documenting what I would call legacy systems or in-house systems is, is the equivalent for the startup that now might be growing, right? So remember that teams change, you know, pe people leave, people get promoted, like all sorts of things happen people forget <laughs> and 
it's quite messy. I don't know if you've ever opened a, a code from a dev. Some, some you know, make comments in, in their code, and that's really admirable. It takes extra time, um, and it might supplement, let's say, if, if you didn't really do such a great job at, at the, um, writing the, the documents at a time when you were too busy handling actual growth. But fundamentally, it's it's very hard because, first of all, you have a dependency, you know, which which means automatically a bottleneck on a couple of, you know, handful of people who know the system in and out. And then the the other ramification is, okay, well, what if you want to upgrade that system or you need to change it, you know, and there's no documentation. It's really, really hard. You know, you almost have to, I mean, there's, there's different ways of tackling it, but you're going to have to kind of open the hood and look at what's under there and make an assessment. And that has much more risks for, first of all, associated to it, because if, if you're unfamiliar with what's there, and you have not no documentation, you're gonna sift around, you're gonna have someone open these things up and look, but it's it's imperfect knowledge, right? It's not as clear as if it was written. Second, you're gonna pay for the time that it takes to, to dig all of this stuff up. And third, the, the requirements might not be complete and therefore your solution might not be perfect, but not even perfect, but adequate or good. It, it might, you have blind spots that you're unaware of. So in terms of risk management, it's just a really, really bad idea. So. All this being said, we have talked about, you know, the fact that sometimes it's just not use cases are not that useful in the first section. And I abide by that, right? If if they're a waste of time, it's if it's really configuration out of the box, make something simpler, you don't necessarily need it. But if you're gonna build something really complex, which is gonna have to be maintained, you know, upgraded in the future that might have dependencies on third parties eventually, the data structure, the processes, the actual use cases, the behavior, the business rules these are really great things to take a little bit of time and document and and they do take time you know and so the the level of at which you do it might vary you might say if it's not really part of the the analyst job right now or whoever is taking that on you know they might jot down something more preliminary more high level but at least have some trace of it right because i think the the worst thing that happens is the system grows and grows and it's really hard to coordinate later on and it's really hard to patch things together and, and upgrade things. And so it's always easier to, you know, take a notepad or whatever document like Word or whatever you're using and and have some kind of trace for, for the future. And you'll see it's it's it helps also in taking decisions, which I think is the last point we can make here. And it's it's of course related to everything we've talked about, but if you're going to make decisions and you know exactly what you're dealing with, it's it's going to be much, much easier. And you need that point, that central document that everyone can look at and point to at that common understanding, that common knowledge, and also that that transparent, like, this is what you, you're dealing with. It makes problem solving much easier in the future. If you're looking into scaling in the future as a startup, <laughs> I know it sounds almost crazy right at that, that turning point because you probably you're thinking, well, you know, we have other things that that money is better spent elsewhere, but it's going to save you a lot of headache and it doesn't need to be exhaustive, but you should really find a way to keep a trace. Even if it's not like the perfect complete use case, find a way to document at least the critical portions or the really, really in-house, like very specific things, right? Or at least distribute the knowledge amongst many people so you don't create bottlenecks as the team grows and make sure that the trainings that you're, you're giving to people who are onboarded shares that um so that's one thing and if and if on the multinational side um you know assess the risks it all comes down i think to to that 
the that trade-off right uh, like most questions i always see them as trade-offs but that's that's what it is it's what risk are we incurring by not documenting and i've i've spoken about so many benefits i i would say there's ways of mitigating the things that annoy people right if someone is over detailing and and over documenting yeah that that is an issue and that issue can be addressed you you can have a sit down talk with, with the analyst and have them you know write a level up and they can absolutely do that and and that's a question of competency and training right um on the other side uh, of that you you know you might just not have the level of complexity required then fine don't simplify the the the, the deliverable but in many many cases if if you have a data heavy project or or something that can be quite complex with the client then then pay attention and do it early because um it's it might seem like extra time that that you're committing to that and, and it is you know it's extra time it's extra budget but it's much less costly to do it in the draft um and to have basically what you're hiring is is a person who's asking questions asking a lot of questions and the project manager usually does that function as well right but that person is kind of um, a, a level deeper in when you're looking at the, the technical aspect of it because the manager it's it's so many details unless that manager also has a, an analyst um, background they they might not get into that level of details because they have their own things to handle with the Gantt charts and all of the projections and the risk assessments so that 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 acolyte there the, that analyst can act as the the right hand of of that manager to be able to really take the time to to go one level deeper ask a little bit more questions and they might have the technical knowledge also to interface with different roles with the ux people with the dev people and that that is what you're doing you're, you're doing risk management you're doing also better planning and you're doing more um quality control ahead of time because you're making sure those criteria are well set, which means later testing is going to be less costly. You're going to have less rework. Quality is going to be improved. You're not going to lose also money or contracts once things go live. You're not going to be in a crisis mode where you're also paying over time. So all in all, I, I think it is a winning scenario. Now, the last question here is, is probably a question of fit as well. And I think this go goes both ways. You need a culture for an analyst that values that role. The... Um, culture has to really value the analyst and the analyst has to value the culture of that team if it's a bad fit you know even when the team does need an analyst and values it it's important that they work well together so that extra human element is one thing we haven't spoken about but it's 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 crucial right in that alignment if uh if it's a bad fit even from a, a personal standpoint then it'll be really hard because the the job of the analyst you know they almost have to be connected to everyone on the team and on, on they're very central right they need access to information from all of these different data points a culture that supports that means that they will come in and that information is going to be um, available to them right the analyst really needs the support of management they really need the support of the culture and so it's uh, it's a question of maturity very often um it's a question of also philosophy and, and management philosophy so you know, on that side, ask questions and figure out what that management style is, what that culture really is like. Maybe hang out with people informally. You're going to get a feel for it very quickly. And um, it's it's very special. And I have worked on teams like that that are absolutely fabulous when you get on that, those teams where every person is important, where there's a recognition that we're 
each helpful for each other and necessary for each other. There is a degree of work and teamwork and collaboration. And I've had that even when we were split on different floors and you would still have, you know, lunch and learns and hang out together and have that camaraderie. And that goes a really long way on top of the environment that was really structured to, to value all of our roles and the, the collaboration together. And I've seen it also in, in startups um, where this happens a lot. Those are fabulous environments. And when you get to a place where everyone is important on the team and not one role, you know, is, is more supersedes another, I think that's a great indicator for uh, um, an environment where the analysts can do their best work and where what they will deliver will have an outstanding quality just because by the sheer access to information they have, because that is the role of the analyst. It's to fetch information and to um, solve problems in a way with the others, with the participation of others, that it reflects, you know, a common vision. And it's a beautiful mandate and one that a, a great culture and a great, um, you know, organizational structure will support you in as an analyst.